Well, if you have your outlines, you can see the scriptures we're going to be at. Thank you. And as you all have heard, we do have another edition in the in the family. And uh, they're not all united yet. If you read your bulletin, I would have made it a little more comical, but I had no uh, more room. <laughs> but uh, we are somewhat keeping them um, keeping them hostage. They're over at our house. We have uh, come to terms to turn them over later on today. <laughs> now, a little girl had a had a fever. We took her down to the. Uh, she went to do some some things with her friends in the afternoon, and so after it was all done, then we took her down, and we didn't know who who the baby was until we got down there late on Wednesday night, because uh, no announcement is made until all the family is present, and so we had to get a uh, little girl there. So we were trying to make it so that we didn't have to take little girl there up after Thursday after school, because if we didn't go up Thursday after school, then there's no announcement until after that, because <laughs> the the, the little ones have to be the first ones to find out. And so we understood that. And so we got them up there. And then we stood outside while they, they take the little ones in. It's kind of the way we did it before, too. And, and um, uh, they get to meet their new sibling. And then we get to come on in and, and see all that. So that was pretty late at night on, on Wednesday. And so I said, you, know, right, you just write up the announcement. I'll, I'll send it on out. So I was waiting for them to, to write it on up. I do that with most of you. If you all have a prayer request, I'll have you write it up because this way I don't change anything or mess anything up. Sometimes I've tried to write it up for people and they say, oh, you we said this wrong. Well, this way, if you write it, then you didn't say it wrong. <laughs> so I do it for that one too. But uh, she was starting to have a fever after we got up there on, on Wednesday. Actually, on the way there, we started noticing she was warm. So we kept her home from school on Thursday. and um, So she didn't see anybody on, on Thursday. And Friday, she went in for a partial day and we had to go pick her up. And so um, uh, we just kept her at the house so that the mom and baby weren't exposed to, um, to all that that was going on, but she's doing better. That's why they're not here today. Uh, just keeping her home. We want to make sure she gets rested and, and is able to go back and see her uh, new sister. So that's, uh, that was made for a fun week. <laughs> Didn't quite get the things done that we were looking to try and get done or... But um, we were able, able to help out with that, and that was, and that was fun. Amen. Well, we've been doing, a, you know, whenever we do one of these long series, and I guess just about every series I do is long. <laughs> I think it's short when we quit around 25. <laughs> That's usually the, the short one, but usually we always, uh, each of these long series is actually a bunch of smaller series. And one of the smaller series we're in right now is in this part of self-limitations, things that we do to put limitations on ourselves. We started out looking at the limitations that God puts on us. How many of you remember back in the beginning, we looked at the cloud, mm-hmm. that the cloud that came over the children of Israel. Yes. The cloud was a moving cloud. There are some boundaries that God gives us that move. Mm-hmm. There are some boundaries that God gives us that are stationary. We have to know the difference and know when we're ready to move. Now, remember the boundary that God put up for Israel. The goal was to get them into the promised land. But they were in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness because they hadn't done the things in the wilderness they're supposed to do. You see, when God gives you a boundary and says operate within this sphere, if you don't operate within that sphere, you don't move on. And understand God is patient. He doesn't just wait weeks. He waits years. He waited 40 years for Israel to get right before he moved them out. He's like, I got all day. Go ahead, have a fit. Do what you want to do. I got all day here. 
we aren't moving until I say. <laughs> and they did not move until he said. And then they finally got the, got the things right. But uh, when God gives you an area to operate in, he expects you to operate within that area. He doesn't expect you to go beyond it. He doesn't expect to have to keep reining you in. And if he has to keep reining you in to get you to operate within that boundary, you are not moving on. He may want you to move on. He may have called you to move on. He may have gifted you to move on. But you aren't moving until you're ready. Because God wants people who operate within the boundaries that he, that he prescribes. Because if, you can, if he can trust you with that, now, I know most of you folks don't operate or don't get to come out on Wednesday night. Some of you tune in on, on Facebook. But I've been alluding to this chapter for a long time. And we're here. Ezekiel 26 is coming up on this Wednesday. Now, we've already hit some chapters in Ezekiel. Uh, one chapter, they won't even read in the synagogue. They will not read it in mixed company. The Jewish people will not. Don't read the New Testament or the Old Testament. They won't read the New Testament, but they will not. There's one chapter we covered it. We looked at it. And um, yeah, it was a struggle. <laughs> but Ezekiel's a tough book. Well, we've been showing you the growth that Ezekiel has been doing. And Ezekiel has, has operated within the bounds that God has said. More so, I think, than any prophet in the history of prophets. It is amazing what this prophet has done. We're going to come to a chapter. If you're able to come on out here, we're going to come to a chapter. You're going to see a man who operated within the boundaries he was supposed to operate in and did so that God gave him a prophecy that is so astounding in its accuracy that most people who are Christians, who are Christian critics of the Bible, who you know, write things about the Bible, claim to be Christian, fail to see it as written by Ezekiel. We're going to get into some history and we're going to show you that the actual, it, the improbability of everything that he writes is so astounding to be at the level that most people could not even think of it in his day. And yet he prophesied it. It has to be so accurate that one word ignored by some commentators causes them to see this entire thing as inaccurate. One word. Word. Can you imagine having a prophecy that if you changed one word, the entire thing fell apart? You're going to see that here in Ezekiel 26. It is, it, I've never taught it here. I've, I think I've taught it once. And it's been so long ago and I have no notes on it that it's, I've already been, been working on getting the, the stuff together for it and studying it and getting things, getting things ready because it's a, uh, it's a mammoth one. But uh, if you come on out on Thursday night, that's what we're going to be getting into. But I just say all that to let you know, this is a guy who learned to operate within where God said. And he was so faithful in it. We showed you, we actually showed you some of the places where he was faithful and where he could have changed it and didn't. How important it was. He is so faithful in it that God gives him a prophecy that a lot of people couldn't have. He couldn't give it to them. Because they would have changed Something. Or God would have said it this way and he would, have, he would have thought, he had every reason to think this. That can't happen. He had a lot of things to think about this. That can't happen. And just cut it out, but he didn't. 
It's an amazing prophecy. So that's what's going to be going on here on, uh, on Wednesday. No more babies are coming, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're good. <laughs> but when we looked in this area of self-limitations, we looked at four things that self-limitations, or four places where self-limitations come from. First off, perceptions. The perceptions that we think others have of us. If I think other people won't receive this, if I think other people think of me in a certain way, I won't do certain things. God didn't, God didn't put that restriction on me. I did. Remember Paul's words to Timothy? Don't let people despise your youth. That's a self-imposed limitation. Not one that God put on him, but one that he put on himself because of what he saw other people seeing him as. Second one was ignorance. If I don't know that I have freedom in a certain area, that I can do a certain thing, I don't do it. Ignorance was the second one. The third was guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty or people try and make us feel guilty so we don't do certain things. Remember when we got into this, we talked about grief that comes from loss. And I told you we were saving some things up. I'd save these things up for a couple months. God showed them to me. I said, well, when we get into that, we'll, we'll dig into that. That was a couple of weeks ago. Death of spouses, death of brothers, sisters, parents, stuff like that. Uh, those things can sometimes put a self-limitation on your life. Not one that God put on you. Fourth area was self-confidence. If I am shaken in my confidence in a certain area, I won't do certain things. What were the words to Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. Know that I'm with you wherever you go. He's trying to give him confidence. Because if I am shaky in the area of confidence, I will be shaky in what I'm doing for God. So those four areas. After that, we looked at the voice of wisdom. We saw that wisdom appeals to my spirit. Foolishness appears to my, appeals to my flesh. We looked at Rehoboam. We saw the words that came from the wise men, and he rejected that. And the words that came from his comrades... And those he received. We talked about rebellion. Seeds of dissatisfaction. Nurtured. Result in rebellion. And we gave you the homework assignment. That to date, no one has give, given me any feedback on yet. <laughs> so I'll give it to you one more time. Is there a time when there was rebellion in the word of God that did not have its seeds in dissatisfaction? Is there a time when people were advanced because of dissatisfaction? So I'll throw it out. One more. I don't know if I'm going to throw it out again, but now when we get into the area of rebellion, because of dissatisfaction, we fall into rebellion. We become enlightened to principles that we don't perceive as false. And this is where we start to get off. This is where where Paul had people who went off the doctrine that he had taught them because they became enlightened to principles that we don't perceive as false. The, the enemy's goal here is to get you off of what God wants you to do. He wants you to step outside of your borders and he doesn't care which direction you go just so you get outside of them. Remember Adam and Eve. All the trees are legal. All of them, except one. So what, did he want, what does he want them to do? Go after the one. Go after the one. Every time God put up a boundary, all right, do this. What's, he, what's the enemy trying to do? 
He wants to get them beyond the boundary. Constantly wants them to try and do that. Same way when we were growing up, some of you kids are here with us today, but we know that when mom and dad say, only this, what do we want to do? Everything else. If, if mom and dad say one cookie, how many do we want? Uh, we want more. Can I just, well, can I just have two? Can I just have one more? We're always trying to push the boundaries on it. But all when, what happens with the parents when the child operates within that boundary? Fully. What happens to that parent when the child operates within that boundary and he's completely trustworthy? What does the parent do? You get more freedom. And so does God. So does God. Well, last week, we, we told you there's three areas. Three areas, three ways that the, the enemy tries to pull you off, get you out of your boundaries. The first one we saw was distraction. He's trying to get you distracted and come over here to ignore what God said and go after something else. For many of us, God has said for us to do certain things about our physical bodies. He said, you know, uh, eat this, don't eat that, exercise here, walk, run, swim, uh, work out, whatever it is he's telling you to do. He's giving you some instruction, and uh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ignored those instructions? What's the Word of God say? Bodily exercise profits a little. Brother Hagin used to always tell us, get the little of profits. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, you, you want to make sure that if God says operate within a certain area, that you step out there and you operate within that certain area. It's going to help you. You may, uh, the enemy comes, he tries to distract you. That can't really help that much. Do you really think this is going to do a whole lot? Well, see, until you are obedient on the first things that he gives you, you don't get the second and the third things. You've got to be obedient there first, then he starts giving you some other stuff. I'll tell you what, God's got cures, ways to take care of stuff High blood pressure, low blood pressure, you, you name it. God's got ways to take care of it. And just because something works for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but God knows what will work for you. And he'll tell you. But just make sure that you, that you do that. So we saw that uh, distraction was one of those things. He's trying to distract you, get you to not do what God said to do, or to go do something else. He tries to pull you off into, into that area. The other area we looked at last week, and that's an all-right attack. If he can't do these subtle things, he's going to just come right on out and attack you. And we saw King Asa, the first time an attack came, he stood up to it, trusted God, won, and got a great victory out of it. A bunch of years later, a second attack came. And he didn't trust God. And he went after a natural way to, to solve it. God was upset with him. Wasn't the, wasn't the Ethiopians a great army and did you not defeat them why did your cave with the army of Israel came up against you but he did so the army of Israel from the north came down upon the south and they were afraid so they made a treaty and even though they had success they didn't have success in God's way so that's the second way that that the enemy works we're going to take a look at a third way here but let's go over here to a verse of scripture Matthew chapter 13 verse 18 Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. This is the interpretation of the parable. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. See, that's an outright attack, isn't it? The enemy will come and try and attack the word. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Here's the next area. This is what we're going to get into today. They had no root. They couldn't endure. And tribulation, so forth came, and they gave in to temptation. They stumbled. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Well, see, that's the first area we looked at. The distractions. The enemy's trying to come in and take the word that God has spoken to you and choke it. Get it so you don't do it. Get it so you don't obey it. Get it so you follow after something else. He's going to try and put other things in your life to sap up all the resources. So there's not as much for the word. Then, of course, he goes on, but he who received seed in the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit, produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some some thirty. So we have uh, verse 19, that's the wayside, that's those that's exposed and attacked. Verse 20, the stoning. Now, when you get into the stony one, it says that they immediately spring up, which means you see plant, but it has no root. So write this down in your outline. It's all show. People that are stony ground have a lot of visible stuff to see, but no root. No substance. They're not able to endure tribulation or persecution. And the Word of God says that they stumble. Now the word there, I wrote it out for you in English. Can you see what word we get in English from that? Scandal. Yeah, I figured you'll see that one. <laughs> to entrap. This word means to entrap, to trip, to trip up, stumble, or entice to sin or apostasy. That's what this word means. So when it says that they had no root, they're all show, then they, they can fall into a place of stumbling. They can become entrapped. Because I had no root. Yes. Now I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading on the verse of scripture, uh, and I do this, you know, I've I've been studying the Word of God for years. Some of you have been studying the Word of God for your years. But sometimes I just sit back, and when I think about this, I just think of, I just go, I start going through the Bible. I start in the Book of Genesis in my head, and I go story after story after story until I get all the way into the New Testament and keep on going until I get to the end until I come to a place. Now, I'm not saying that I remember every single story, but I remember most of them. And I'm going through the story, going through the story just in my head and trying to picture stuff. All right, where, where is this in the Word of God? Now, sometimes the Spirit of God just quickens me to what it is. And sometimes my mind is just going through, oh, I bet you that has something in there. And then I can go in there and pick up the Bible, read the story, and then see some of the details on it. But I don't know about you, but I, I came to this one, Stony Soil. Can you think of an example in the Word of God of stony soil? Someone who was all show and no root. Someone who took the Word of God and didn't give attention to it. And so I thought, I thought about this for a while. 
and thinking and thinking and going through the Old Testament. And so I did come up with a, a place where I saw this. Ah, here it is. That's where it is. So we'll get into that. Here's the, the thorny store. This is the cares and riches that choke the word to become unfaithful. Become. That means they were faithful. But they become unfaithful. These are not people who never followed after God. These are people that followed after God and were faithful, had roots, had plant, and then became unfaithful because of the things that were allowed to grow around them. Now, the attack from last week, that's the first soil. And then we are told you that the... Uh, uh, well, what example of the work can you think of for the second soil? So hopefully you're, you're processing that, beginning to think of some of those. Here's the, here's the uh, symptoms. They receive the word with joy. I mean, how many times in the word of God do we see them actually talk about the joy that they received the word with? But no roots are developed. They endured for a while until tribulation or persecution arose because of the word. So I turned over to the book of Acts. Chapter 17, because there's a whole lot of people in the word, book of Acts who received the word of God. And so this is where we, where we go. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So for three different Sabbaths, that's three weeks, over three weeks he became in and he preached to them. When it says in verse 2 that he reasoned, I wrote out again the, the Greek word. What word do we get in the English from this Greek word? Dialogue. We got our word dialogue. That just gives you an idea of where this word is going. He says uh, the definition is to say thoroughly, discuss in uh, argument or an exhortation, to dispute, to preach, to reason, or to speak. That's what this word is talking about. We got our word dialogue from it. And so he came in as his custom was. He went in for three Sabbaths and he reasoned with them. He dialogued with them. He talked with them about the word of God. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So he comes in, and for three weeks he begins to talk about this, and some of them said, I like this, I'm going to join with you. Would you consider that someone who had joy in hearing the word? They were excited about it. I, I sort of thought that too. And so, there were those who were persuaded. Verse 5, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. See, they knew they were staying at Jason. They came in there trying to find them. Raided the house. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, if you think it's a new practice for people who go after certain ones in this country, they've done it. We've seen it a number of times where they've gone after different ones in this country and they can't get them. And so they go after some of the support staff. They've done it in, in uh, over decades. I've watched this thing done. I still think of a guy named Scooter Libby. Anybody remember Scooter Libby? 
I thought I was discussing how his life was ruined because he worked for a president that they tried to get after. And uh, he didn't do anything. Didn't do anything wrong. All he did was they say somewhere in the process of things he lied to the FBI. Isn't it interesting how some people can lie to the FBI outright and get away with it? Now, I heard somebody from the FBI say this. That this is one of their tactics that they use. Now, understand this. The FBI can lie to you, but you can't lie to them. <laughs> they can lie to you about what they know or what they think, but you cannot lie to them. This is from an FBI person. This is what they said. If they asked you 20 times, what color is the car? And if you said 19 times crimson and one time said it was red, you have lied. That is a process crime to them. Well, you've had, you own the car. You should know it's crimson. You should never say it's red. This was an FBI person who said this. This is what they'll do. So whenever I hear process crime, I don't care who they went after. I am immediately suspect because I know that they'll do this. See, that's what they were doing it back here. They came into Jason's house looking for who? They went to Paul. They didn't want Jason. They went to Paul, but they can't get Paul. So what do they do? They went after Jason. And they come out and they said, Jason has harbored them. They didn't care who harbored them before, but since they can't get them, well, let's go after this one. So Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another King Jesus. Now, I bring that all up to you for this reason. Understand who's behind when these things come on. The reason why it's been going on for thousands of years. I can show you other examples where the same thing is going on, but that's not our purpose here. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. It's amazing how people can go after a crime that never was committed. Paul didn't create, and he didn't do any crime, did he? He just came in and preached the word. That's all he did. And people on their own free will decided to believe it. But some people who didn't want to believe it decided that those people who did believe it shouldn't ought to. And they came after him. No other reason than we don't think you ought to believe that. Just like in this country, some people believe that there's male and female. And some people believe that there's a lot more. And if you don't want to believe that there's male and female, then there's some people who don't think that you ought to believe that. And will come after you. Some people think that it's wrong to kill a baby when it's in the womb. Other people think it's wrong to kill a baby when it's out of the womb. And there's other people who think that people who believe that should be prosecuted, should be come after. It's the same thing. Can you see that? You don't believe like I want you to believe. Therefore, we come after you. And that's what they did. The only thing they did was teach people to believe in a certain way that the people who didn't believe didn't want to believe. Now, they listened to him for a little while, but they said, nah, we're not going to go with that. But it's, it's not just, you know, it's like uh, vegetarians. Vegetarians believe everybody should eat vegeta- vegetables and are not happy until all the meat eaters are not eating meat. <laughs> now, if you want to eat vegetables, I'm all for it. Go ahead. That's more meat for me. 
I'm all right. Eat all the vegetables you want. I don't even care if they have restaurants that have all vegetable cuisine. That's great. I think it's wonderful that somebody opens up a restaurant and all they serve in there is vegetables. Go. You won't see me. I'm not going. But if you want to go, I think it's great. Go out there and have it. There's people that are vegans. Next level up, I guess, from being a vegetarian. And they have whole restaurants that are, that are vegan. I think it's great. Have them. I don't see any, no problem with me at all. If you want to have a vegan restaurant, then that you want to go there and, 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 uh, eat it. I won't protest your vegan restaurant. I won't protest your vegetarian restaurant. I won't protest the restaurant that has a vegetarian side of the menu. I just won't look at it. Just go over here to the meat side. That's all. But why is it that certain people who believe that everybody should eat vegetables are out there protesting my meat restaurants? That's not right. (laughs) If you don't want to eat the meat restaurant, don't eat there. That's all. Nobody says that you have to do it. But you see, this is the wrong mentality. As soon as you see people that are in this, just know it don't matter what the cause is. We know where the source is. Just just like way back in the um, early days of Christianity, a couple hundred years old it, it was, and someone decided to come up with the idea everyone needs to be a Christian and legislated it. If you don't become a Christian, if you don't worship God, we kill you. And they did that. Constantine did that. How many of you all know that's a part of the history? Constantine made it. If you, did, if you were not Christian, we'd kill you. That's not right. God doesn't want you to become a Christian because if you have a fear of death. If you don't want to be a Christian, that's your choice. But there are other religions out there. If you don't jump in with them, they will kill you. And there's nations out there that are, are killing Christians because they're worshiping God. God sees it. He's not happy. Before we leave off, verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, I'm sorry, I read. I'm, I jumped ahead of you. I'm in another... I was thinking, man, I don't think that left off the... We're over in uh, Thessalonians. We'll come back to that in here. I'll, I'll read that in a minute. Let's go back to Acts 17. Yeah, we'll stay back there. Let's finish what we had there. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in this very place, your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare... I'm still reading the same spot. Why does it say eight? It's got my wrong thing on it. Now we're in the right one. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So Jason was allowed to be let go, but they took some money. So that, you know, the bail. So they know he'll come back. He didn't do anything wrong. But he had to put up bail money. It's not quite right, is it? But this is what happened over here in Thessalonica. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have a letter to the church there. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. 
So even though in the book of Acts, we don't hear a whole lot of the power, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, when I came, I didn't just preach the word, I also demonstrated it in power. You saw some signs, some miracles, some things went on. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Did you just see that verse? Let me read it to you again. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So they received the word with joy, but what came with the word that they received? Tribulation and persecution. They had affliction. So that describes that, that uh, stony soil, doesn't it? So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what he is saying here is the word of God came to you and you received it. And there were enough people in Thessalonica that when the whole city went into the uproar and persecutions were arose and those who didn't want to believe pressured those who did believe to let it go. That there are people there who didn't let it go. Why didn't they let it go? Because they put some roots down. They weren't all show. They put some roots down. They studied it. They pressed in. They got hold of this thing. So when the pressure came, they stood. So much so that first and second Thessalonians, Paul writes to them because they were going through so much turmoil and such tribulation that some people came in and began to teach them. The rapture has... uh, the rapture has come. You missed it. You are in the tribulation. Paul was wrong. You're here. So Paul wrote to him. And we, it wasn't too long ago we went over that. Remember? Uh, what was it? Second Thessalonians 2? I think we went over it. And then people, uh, uh, people mis, misuse that thing. And they, they begin to talk about some, some weird stuff about the tribulation. You know, the Holy Spirit being taken out. And, um, and, and so forth. But the thing that's being taken out is the church. Let me just give you that quick review. The thing that's being taken out until he is removed, Antichrist cannot materialize, is what Paul says. But the only thing that he talks about being removed is the church. So the he has to represent the church. How is it that the he represents the church when the church is the bride of Christ? See, that's what throws everybody off. It all depends on how you're talking about the the, the the church. If you're talking about the church and the bride of Christ, then it's she. If you're talking about the church and the body of Christ, as Christ is the head, if Christ is the head and he's male, what's the body? Because he's not mixed up like some people are. So he's referring to a he because it's the body of Christ is being removed, not the bride of Christ. Depends on which way you talk about it. Anyway, that's just review. You can go back there and get it. On your own. He said, you became followers of us. You became examples to others. Other people heard of your great faith 
because your faith withstood all this tribulation that came against you. Now there's other ones that didn't, they didn't withstand it. They fell. And they were the people in the, the second soil. They didn't have any roots. So evil men from the marketplace, they were hired to start a riot. Do people still do that now? They brought accusation against Paul and Silas. They probably don't even know them. And since they couldn't find their target, they took whatever they could get. And they brought the whole place into some trouble. But you see, for some of them, there was something lacking. For a few, there was enough to establish a church. We're not done here. It's going to verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. What does that sound like? <laughs> Sounds like that, that joy thing being talked about in Jesus' parable. And searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So if they taught them on the Sabbath, daily they would go back to the scriptures to see if what they were learning was so in the scripture. What will that, what will that do to you if you study the word that you learn on the Sabbath at home during the day? It gets its root down on the inside of you, doesn't it? You get some roots down with that thing. So they were more fair-minded. They searched the Scriptures daily. And therefore, many of them believed. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, also, uh, as well as the men. So with the, some of the prominent people, some of the main leaders in the city, came over to that, to that side. Verse 13, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, so another way of saying this is when the vegetarians in Thessalonica heard that they were eating meat, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. We're not content to just stir up the crowds here. No, we got to go over here and do it. Hey, they're serving meat in Ohio. Let's go over to Ohio. We don't want them having any meat out there either. Whereas, you know, the meat eaters, we won't even walk across the block to protest the vegetarian restaurant. We just hope they do, do well and wish them, wish them good things. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. Why'd they remain there? To keep teaching them. Alright, they're all mad at Paul. So Paul got it started. But uh, Silas and Timothy, they stayed to teach them some more. And so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and received a command from for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Well, they, the people in Thessalonica were so angry, they couldn't help themselves. They had to come out. But these people here in Berea, they received the word with gladness, didn't they? But then they started to study it. They started to put some roots down to get it established what was going on. Now after this, Berea is not that far from Thessalonica. He goes over to Athens. They send him over to Athens to wait there for him. That's a lot longer. That's a bigger trip. You know, to get away from these people. And so they went, went way down south from where they were and he hung out in Athens. And while he's hanging out there, he just can't help himself. He starts getting into a discussion with the people there in Athens. 
uh, you know, trying to be inconspicuous. I'm sure, you know, Timothy and Silas, they're probably counseling them. Now, Paul, just go there and wait. Don't, don't start nothing. Just go there and wait. And the rest of the team will be there with you. We're going to finish up some things here. But look, just, just kind of hide out there and, uh, don't start anything. And don't, you know, don't go out there preaching, getting the church going. Just kind of wait there. And so Paul, he's, he's there. He's probably remembering the words that they're saying. You know, just kind of lay low. And he's walking around and he sees all this idolatry going on in the city. And it's bothering him. Down in the spirit, it's bothering him. All this idolatry. Man, I gotta, I can't just sit back and do all this. I gotta do something about this. And he finds the, the, uh, statue to the unknown God. So he gets up and he says, I'm here to tell you about that unknown God you are already worshiping. <laughs> We're just tying it right in there. And so they had discussions about it. But uh, it doesn't go very far because uh, these people in Athens, they just love discussing new ideas. If you ever go through that verse of Scripture in chapter 17, do you remember when they call Paul a babbler? The actual word in the Greek means one who hears others' ideas and presents them as their own. They heard some new idea out here and they come into town and they say, I'm here to declare something to you. This is my revelation. And they called Paul that. That's how they saw him. Now, tribulation and persecution. I got this for it. You can write this out in your outline if you, if you, if you care to. But tribulation and persecution could be seen as simply the temptation to, there are three things here. Three things for it. First off, the temptation to not believe in the truth. Tribulation and persecution can simply be the temptation to not believe in the truth. When we saw the people over in Thessalonica, they were not content in themselves not believing the truth. They wanted you to not believe the truth. That's what they wanted to see. So they came over and they pressured. They had riots. They had fights. They had accusations. All for the purpose of getting you to not believe in the truth. Whenever, it don't matter what, where it is, whether it's in politics, whether it's in news reporting, whether it's um, in store advertising, I don't care what it is. Whenever I see something and everybody has risen up to get me to not believe something, I am suddenly on the other side. That's just the way I work. If you're going to put pressure on me to not believe this, then more than likely the truth is on this side. Because people who know the truth know the truth stands. You, if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. That's fine. It's, I mean, if people come up to you and say, you know, meat's bad for you, what do you do? Oh, it is. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Exactly. And I leave. <laughs> Why in the world have an argument with an idiot? You know what I mean, right? I was doing this. We were up at the... Uh, up at the, the group run that I do. And there's this guy, he's, he's a little older than I am. He's a, he's a rocket scientist. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean, he actually worked for NASA on rockets. He is a rocket scientist. And so, you know, I, I consider him to be a pretty intelligent person. And of these recent weeks, we started to talk about some global warming things. 
And I thought, well, this is an intelligent person. And so I gave him some of the facts on it. He couldn't swallow them. He's, no, nah, no, nah, global warming is man-made and, and we're doing it. So I, I started throwing some things out to him. I said, well, what's the number one, number one gas in the atmosphere that, that creates global warming or global cooling? cooling? Uh, CO2. See, he just knows what he's told. I said, no, it's not. I said, number one gas is, is uh, water vapor. If you have a cloudy day, it's going to be what? If you have a cloudy day in the daytime, it's going to be cooler. If it's cloudy at night, it's going to be warmer because the heat can't escape. If you have a non-cloudy night, it will be a colder night because the heat goes up. If you have a non-cloudy day, is it not hotter? Now, hotter could be relative. If it's the winter, it's supposed to be 20. It might be 25. <laughs> All right? So it's, it's warmer than it would have been because you got the sun on, out there. And so he, he, he thought about it. He came back to me the next week. He said, oh, that's ridiculous. And so I threw a few more things out to him. And he just couldn't, he just was so wrapped up in the propaganda that people had told him. So I just, eh, fine. You know, believe that. <laughs> and I just went on and we had some pleasant conversations with other people. <laughs> if you don't want to receive the stuff, then that's fine. I don't need you to, you know, go on there and believe that. And uh, buy your electric cars. <laughs> I've told you before, electric cars destroy the environment far more than gas ones. And it's not even close. It, they are so destructive to our environment, but they won't tell you why. You're looking surprised. You know? Why? Uh, <laughs> the batteries they make for them are extremely destructive. In fact, they have to use child labor into these uh, third world countries to pull the cobalt out. And they don't care about the lives of the kids. Many of these kids die trying to pull this cobalt out of the mine. But they need the cobalt to make the batteries that are in the cars. The batteries only last five to seven years. You have to replace the battery. Now all those chemicals are in the environment and they are destructive as anything. You have an accident with an electric car, all that stuff is freely released into the, into the uh, atmosphere, into the uh, groundwater. Every, it all just goes, but they don't tell you about that. Electric cars are far more destructive than a guest car. All this stuff is. If you have uh, windmills, you know, it's, I, I saw this, uh, this picture thing. I don't know if I showed this with you. But you know when it, what happens in the windmill in the winter? They ice up. Now, if you have a blade that's spinning and it has ice on it, guess what happens after enough ice, ice builds up on there? All right, now if it falls off of a moving blade, what's it do? You have flying ice. That's just destructive. That can hurt people. So what they do is they bring a helicopter with de-icing equipment over to the windmills to de-ice them. What do you think it costs to have a helicopter flying in the air with de-icing equipment to get rid of that ice on the green energy? <laughs> I'll tell you all this stuff that has to be done. But uh, it'd be nice if it all worked the way they said, but it doesn't always work that way. But anyway, tribulation and persecution could be seen as simply the temptation to not believe in the truth. Just the temptation. They're going to come against you. You will not believe that. You will believe what we tell you about babies. You will believe what we tell you about male and female. You will believe what we tell you about marriage. You will believe what we tell you about how the universe started. 
That's comical too. I saw. I, I love reading astron- astronomical stuff. You know, stuff that's uh, in the. Uh, uh, I can't even. Word went out of my. Uh, the stars and all that sort of stuff. They were. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe they actually, this is the headline. It was so, it just grabbed me so much I had to read it. Largest explosion in the history of the universe recorded. How long have we been observing the universe? With anything, you know, sizable that we can actually get out there and see stuff? Not even 50 years? And you're going to tell me that you saw the greatest explosion in the history of the universe for which you have been here for a blink. Is that not the most ridiculous story? The But anyway. But see, there'd be tribulation and persecution. Way back when, when they were new in all this, discovering planets and stars and so forth, uh, and people came out with the idea that the earth was round. What, ha- what happened to them? They were persecuted. Their books were burned. They were kicked out of the Catholic Church. Excommunicated. And they were found not to be right. Alright, here's the second one. Tribulation and persecution could be seen as simply the temptation to not stand for the truth. So if it's... If, if you can't get the first one and you won't quit believing the truth, that's at least get you not to stand for it. That's the second thing. Third, tribulation or persecution could be seen as simply the temptation to believe what is false. Three things, not believe the truth, not stand for the truth, or go all the way over and believe what is false. We are always to be growing in our revelation. We always should be learning more from the Word of God. God should be revealing things to us. Just like the disciples were going along with Jesus and learning. And Jesus said to them, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. They were learning. They were revealing things. When we get new revelation, you must put down more roots on it. The root structure has to be as established as the structure that you see. Otherwise, you're all show. Because there's no roots there. you got to have the roots. If the roots don't support, support the structure, then that structure is going to fall down. you got to have roots to support it. How many of y'all see how the, we get the, the grass all, the, the, the ground all wet, soaked for those, those, those rains, and some of the trees just fall over? And some of their, their roots got to be too shallow. They weren't down there. Uh, don't, weren't down there well enough. I don't know if you ever heard this, but if you ever go out and water your grass, if you don't water your grass for, at, I got an expert back over here, I better be careful what I'm saying. <laughs> if you don't water your grass for a long period of time, you train your grass to have shallow roots. Oh, if you do a 30 minute, am I, am I right on that? That's what I, if you train it, if you just do 15, 30 minute waterings. Roots will actually grow longer. Really? So I always, always told that they would get, get deeper. If you continue to give it more water, the roots will actually pull up because you're training it that it doesn't have to go look for water. Right. Ooh. So the idea is to get those things saturated. Yeah. I used to laugh at people who were watering their grass in the rain. 
What's that? Infrequent. Infrequent and deep. Yeah, that's what I had always heard. If you water it every day, 15 minutes every day, you're going to kill you. You're going to hurt your grass. You want to get that water down. And they're trained those roots to look deep for the water. And it, uh, and it helps out. Your roots need to be deep. They need to be established. Now, if you look at some trees, some trees have very shallow roots. But they grow together. What's the name of the ones? Is it the, the giant redwoods or is it the uh, sequoias? Or They have, by, by comparison, I'm not saying that all the roots are just surface. But, I mean, these are super tall trees. But they all grow together and they interlock the roots. So they actually have share the root system of the entire forest. And so they support the huge structure because of the huge root system as they all kind of interconnect. But see, if you don't have the roots, you won't be established for long. You gotta have roots to go down. This is important stuff to, to get hold of. We're always growing in Revelation. But you have to study it. You have to get the roots to go down. If the roots don't support the structure, it will top over. Now when you get that, my wife showed me a picture. I'll tell you that in a minute. Um, if you do not get those roots that are down, when new revelation comes, you are apt to receive stuff. That is not the word. And then you get into trouble. Because you you believe, put faith in the things that are false. My wife showed me one of those Facebook things. Um, I don't have a whole lot of people on my Facebook page. Uh, by comparison, I know people have thousands. I don't. I need more of an excuse to put you on my Facebook page than just that I know you. <laughs> now, most of the people here in the church, I, you all are on there. I'm just talking about other people. That, uh, that are outside. I just, I just don't mess with it. I don't want to see their stuff <laughs> for the most part. But she, she, uh, she had this one and she pulled it up. I wanted to make sure I, I get it right. The, uh, the enemy is terrified of what we are about to birth. I looked at that immediately. I go, eh. That is such an ignorant statement. What is the enemy terrified of? The name of Jesus. Is there anything in the Word of God that he is terrified of more than the name of Jesus? That's what he's terrified of, isn't he? He doesn't want you coming out using the name of Jesus. It is amazing how many Christians are sold on other things to do besides the name of Jesus. There is nothing I can birth in my lifetime that is greater than what's already here. But you see, if you don't have the roots to go down, you hear that, you get all excited. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Oh, I want to get in on this meeting. Oh, we're going to birth something. Oh, it's going to be good. <laughs> Come on. We don't need that. You already have the most powerful stuff there is. Paul wrote about the armor. That's all you need. He already wrote about it. It's already been birthed. It's already there. Already got it. He said that he said that the weapons of our warfare are, but they are mighty for the. Now I'm way back when we did this thing on the knowledge of God. That was years ago. We told you this part. If the stronghold always comes down when you use the weapons, is it a stronghold? You see, the only reason you have a stronghold in your life is because you're not using the weapons. 
Now think of it this way. They used to have walled cities for defense. Why don't they have them anymore? Because they don't work. Because now we have planes that fly right over those walls. <laughs> and you have ways to get get right in there. So the walled cities don't do any don't do any good. Because you can you can get in there, just fly over and bomb them and take them right out. So we had a change. We don't don't have that anymore. See, if you have a stronghold in your life, it's simply because you're not using the weapons that were formed against it. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. That means it was a stronghold before it met up with the weapons. It is not a stronghold because it resists the weapons. It is a stronghold because no one has used the weapons yet. Does that make sense to you? But the enemy wants you to believe I've got a stronghold in your life. It's only a stronghold if you don't use the weapons. But the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're mighty. I don't need to burst nothing. I've got what I need. <laughs> but the enemy wants you to think there's other stuff out there that you need to have. And he's going to try and sell you on it. And so Christian people will buy into it. I have to guarantee you, most of the people who believe that will get militant to those who will come against them. And that tells me where they're from. If the structure is outdone by the roots, if the roots are greater than the structure, you are not walking in what you know to do. If you've got great roots and no structure, you are not walking in what you know to do. See, the goal is not to have great roots and no structure and all structure and no roots. The goal is to have roots that are healthily proportional to the structure that you have. And as the structure grows, the roots grow. And that allows the structure to grow and the roots to grow. Let me read a verse of scripture here to you. James chapter 2. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Your works are what you see. Your faith is the roots. What Paul is saying is, it is harder to have roots and no structure than it is to have structure and no roots. That's a hard thing to do. Have structure. And no roots. Because if you have roots, it kind of makes a structure happen. It grows. And that's what God's called you to do. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish men, that faith without works is dead? Don't just have a root structure. Don't have all kinds of knowledge, not doing anything with it. You should ha- take the knowledge that you've got and put it to work. There ought to be structure. There ought to be something that we can see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there shouldn't just be stuff that we see and nothing underneath of it. Right. You've got to have structure. You've got to have roots. The enemy is after both. 
He wants to keep the structure down because that keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. But he wants to hollow out those roots because he knows the structure will fall. But do like the Bereans did. Hear the word? Go study it out. Go study it out to see if it's so. They didn't go study, study it out to see if it was false. Did you see that in, in there? I didn't point that out to you. They didn't go study it out to see if it was false. They studied it out to see if it was so, if it was true. See, there's one way to approach the word where you study it to see if it's false. There's another way to approach the word to study it. I'm going to find out what's true. Oh, I heard that. Oh, oh, that is good. Oh, oh, I want that to be true, but I'm going to study it out and just make sure that that's true. And you study it out. You make sure. Oh, yeah, it's in there. It's in there. God has given you borders. He's given you areas to operate within. And if you operate within those areas, if you operate within those borders, that area will grow. And it it will get bigger. And God says we can depend on this one. We can rely on this one. Because if we say to do it this way, they do it that way. Let's give them some more. Let's put some more in them. Oh, and you'll grow. And people will be impacted. And people will be helped. It's the roots. Paul had tremendous roots. If you came to Paul with something false, he knew right away. That's wrong. It doesn't jive with the roots. He had people that were all structure. But he said, nah, nah, you need some roots. When Jesus gave this parable, he knew there's three things the enemy's going to try and do. He's going to try and turn you into wayside soil where you can just attack and eat up the seed. Simply because you don't understand it. He's able to pull out what you don't understand. He's going to try and get you into stony soil where the seed springs up, but there's no way it can get down and it will eventually die. Or he's going to try and get you and then a place where, all right, well, they're in good soil and it's growing. Let's put some other stuff in there. Let's get some other things growing. Let's get some other things competing. Let's get their attention taken off. Let me tell you this. Whatever God has told you to do, if God has told you, we would just go to the natural thing. If God told you to go on a diet, do you know that you have the ability, when God said to do that, to do it? Well, God told me to do it. That means you have the ability. If God said to, to, to walk, you know what that means? I have the ability. God told you to ride a bike. You know what that means? He said, if God tells you to do something, never should, should the words come out of your mouth. I can't. Never. I ought to get you excited. God said I can do this. God said I can do it. That means I can do it. The devil will come to you right away. He'll say, You've never been able to do that before. God never told me to do it before. <laughs> he told me to do it now. That means I can do it. Have the ability. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Today is our communion Sunday. And as we remember what Jesus Christ did for us, As we remember the sacrifice that he made. As we remember what he did in coming to this world to live above sin. 
and then to die. He was given a place of operation and he said it often. How many times, listen to the words of Jesus, how many times he talks about where he was to operate in. I never do anything that I haven't seen my father do. I don't say anything that I didn't hear my father say. We saw in one verse, one passage of scripture that as his custom was, he came into the synagogue and he opened the book to the point of Isaiah that said, the spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. And he would tell them his job description. Heal the sick. So for all the different things that were in there. He would come in and he would announce them, this is what God has called me to do. This is where I am supposed to operate. He knew his borders. He knew where he was supposed to go. But if you go back over to the temptation of Jesus, and there's three of them that are listed. The enemy was trying to get him to step outside of where God had told him to be. And each time he refused. The enemy will try. Young and old. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. The enemy will try to get you to operate outside of what God has told you to do. Because he knows, just like the case with Balaam and Balak, he knows if you can get the children of Israel to operate outside of the realm where they're supposed to be, outside of the borders that God has set up, they're easy game. And many died because of that. Know where God has called you to go. There are some borders that are fixed. There are some borders that move. God may say, this is your border for right now, but boy, you stay faithful. And God says, all right, now go out here. Go out here and do this. I think one of the greatest examples of that was Israel. Israel was told early on, where their territory would be. And it was a whole lot bigger than the nation of Israel is. But the first part God gave them was those borders between Jordan and the sea. But they didn't operate in there very, very well. And they never expanded the borders to all what they were supposed to. Jesus was our example. He was one who operated within the borders of where he was supposed to be. He didn't believe what was false. He only preached what was true. And he did what he saw his father do. And he only said what he heard his father say. What an example to follow. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it before supper. They all passed it around. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. The body of Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. It is all about sickness and disease. He has taken sickness from the midst of us. As we eat together, let's do as he said. Let's remember the body of Jesus shed for you. After supper, I tell you this all the time, but I want you to always remember there's a whole meal in between because this is two separate things. One is the body 
for your sickness and disease to redeem you from the curse and the second is to redeem you from the penalty of sin the blood of Jesus that has caused us to walk in an area of forgiveness we could never attain a place of sinlessness we could not achieve on our own but he achieved it and he gave it to us we wear his cloak of righteousness not our own the enemy wants you to not focus on that and think about all the stuff that you've got to do to make up for all the stuff that you did wrong you don't have to do that we receive the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood as we drink together let's remember that glory to God Father we thank you for your great love that is poured out on us you know the ways of the enemy you know he will come with his distractions he will come with his attacks and he will come trying to weaken us in our roots so that we cannot endure what will come because of the word for your word in us attracts attention when we lay down those roots and are established we are well able to weather any storm any tribulation any persecution I thank you for I thank you that in all the places that we go we can believe the truth we can stand for the truth and we can recognize and reject anything that is false give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus name Amen.